0: The first lesson this morning comes from Psalm 121. Hear the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved And he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses one To 17. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to offer just a brief pastoral word as I sit in a sanctuary today that is empty on a Sunday morning. I am very aware of how isolated each one of us might feel in our own spaces. Looking at empty pews, I remember each one of you as you typically sit wherever it is that you sit. And I remember just how hard it is to be alone, to be isolated by the information that you hear and to wonder what it is that the future might hold. And to that, we do not have answers, but we only say we continue to be as together as we possibly can. And so, As I stand here today, I do that on behalf of all of you, knowing that though we do not gather in body, we gather in spirit. So friends, let us move into this time of reflecting on the text that we have before us today. The questions that we are asking ourselves during Lent ...have to do with what it was like to have conversations with Jesus. And we are specifically reflecting on the conversations that people in our scriptures had with Jesus. And today, as appropriate, and as apropos, we are moving into a time when we are wondering... ...what it is like when the conversation was full of questions... Because that's exactly what this conversation with Nicodemus deals with. And the progressions of questions in this passage of John go something like this. And here I'm dealing specifically with what Nicodemus is up to and his part in the conversation. And so the questions of Nicodemus go like this. We know that you are from God. For no one can do these things apart from the presence of God. That's the first statement that Nicodemus makes to Jesus. And then the second one goes like this. How can anyone be born after growing old? So as Nicodemus begins to engage Jesus, he moves into sort of this wild and sort of whimsical question. And then the last question that Nicodemus asks Jesus goes like this. It says, How can these things be? And I think that this progression is important for us to at least take note of because it reminds us that when we come to God with our questions, we usually start with some sort of understanding that we understand who God is, that we have some sort of uh, disposition to uh, an inclination that might lead to how God should or should not respond to us. And perhaps harder than this, we come with our hopes of how God might respond to us. We come with the assumption that God will meet us and perhaps meet us in a way that we desire, that God will meet us on our own terms, We come with our hopes that God will make us better, heal us, remove some of the deeper questions and maybe wounds inside of us. In short, we come to God looking for answers. And that's exactly how Nicodemus came in this text. Nicodemus comes looking for answers. We find a friend in Nicodemus. We see that he too is looking for answers from this person, Jesus. And as a person who has risen to the highest rank of religion in the first century, and John helps us understand that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he's working within the highest ranks of what it means to understand the text in this first century. He has a lot of power. His conversations are with the most educated people in his culture. The way that he sees life is very complex and very nuanced. And still, in the light of all of this, Nicodemus comes recognizing that he does not have all the answers. He doesn't have it all together. And he sees something in Jesus that is real and true and authentic and loving and kind and divine and holy, and he's intrigued. And so he comes to Jesus tracking him down. But the question that I have is, when does he track him down? Remember? Our lovely member Becky Ruffin uh, has an anthem that she has composed just for this text that I hope that we can get to later as we move through this time of global challenge. But Becky's anthem deals specifically with this idea that Nicodemus tracks down Jesus at night. At night. And the fact that he comes at night means a few things. He might not want to be seen with Jesus. Uh, That might be the best time that he can sort of preserve his own livelihood within the first century and preserve the life of Jesus. He might not want to endanger Jesus. There might be some safety issues. But the other thing that we know and that we can gather from the fact that that he comes at night means that there's something that Nicodemus was afraid of whether that was social implications, personal implications, implications within the larger culture. We recognize that there are fears that Nicodemus was encountering as he came to Jesus. He was afraid. And I want to note that perhaps when we wrestle with our own fears about who God is and when we actually sort of put those questions onto paper and look face to face into our own questions about who God is, that we might be afraid. There might be things about those questions that have implications that that might be too hard for us to have ears to hear. And though we're not able to solve any of these questions in our context today, what we want to notice is that whether we have questions for Jesus or Nicodemus has questions for Jesus, what we do say is that when we come with our questions to Jesus, we note that we are vulnerable when we do that. We come with an element of vulnerability because questioning lays us bare in a way. It reveals some of the deepest sort of soul longings that we have. And it reveals our vulnerability. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he comes at night, he comes afraid, and he comes vulnerable. And it turns out that as this exploration begins, And as he enters into this conversation with Jesus, he starts out by thinking that he has it all together. And I wonder if maybe that's often how we come to God with our own questions. We come often, and this is not a criticism, this is just the way we are as human beings, we come thinking that maybe we've got it all together. Maybe we learned enough in Sunday school. Maybe we learned enough from the folks around us. Maybe we've lived long enough in order to have a strong perspective. And so we come thinking that we have it all together. Or maybe we can anticipate where Jesus might be going. And that's sort of where Nicodemus goes. Remember, he starts with, I know that you're from God because you couldn't be doing these things unless... The presence of God was with you, right? So, so Jesus so Nicodemus starts with what he knows, and that's his way of sort of beginning to enter the situation with having some sort of platform to stand on, having it all together to some degree. And then as the conversation unfolds, Nicodemus, the Nicodemus's presumptions begin to unravel he starts strong and then as Jesus responds to him Nicodemus Holds firm, but he pivots just a little. He sort of opens up the space for questions. The second question that he asks is a good one. It sounds funny in the way that we hear it. He says, How can you enter back into your mother's womb? But Jesus essentially says that you need to be born again. What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. And so there's this sense in which birth has to take place to understand the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is curious by this, he doesn't understand it. So he says, What do you mean? Do we enter into our mother's womb again? And then, after this sort of crazy question that Nicodemus asks, and then the response that Jesus gives him, and that's that whole response about the wind. Remember, the wind blows wherever it is that it chooses. Uh, You can't see from where it's coming or where it's going, but you can feel it and hear it, right? That's the response that Jesus gives. And so from that answer that Jesus offers, Nicodemus eventually makes his way to this place of what I think of as ultimate spiritual humility. He sort of names his human fragility and his dependence And he goes from his first statement, which is, I know that such and such, such," until his last statement, which is, How can these things be? How can these things be? And here we have Nicodemus, a member of the Pharisees, a specialist in religion, And he eventually comes to this conversation point with Jesus where he says, How can these things be? And in conversations with Jesus, it seems like over and over and over again, this is where we get. We get to this place of utter unknowing. We get to this place of utter incredulity. We get to this place of utter awe and maybe utter confusion. Where we finally just stay out loud, how can these things be? And it's at this point when Nicodemus finally ans- when he finally names this qu- question that Jesus really begins to take off. and he takes off not with answers, by the way, I mean. If we were looking for that, we often, you know, let's not turn to Jesus. He's not really the one who wants to give us a lot of answers. But what he does do is he begins then to take Nicodemus into the space of this whole new reality. And he does that by doing something really specific and very interesting. And I'm going to explain something to you that might be a little confusing. And so I just. Encourage you to maybe take a moment of pause here. Take a breath. Uh, We've done a lot of thinking about this text. Um, We're going to get to a space where we're going to be talking about the Old Testament reference that Jesus makes. So just take a mental pause uh, for a moment. Because what Jesus does is he takes... A story that Nicodemus would have known very well. He moves right in to the Old Testament, into the book of Numbers, by the way. Uh, the book of Numbers chapter 21, it's right around verse 9. Um, it's the third book of the Bible, if you'd like to kind of reference that during this uh, during the listening of this sermon that's not the worst idea in the world I think it actually might be kind of helpful uh, to get a sense of where it is that Jesus is coming from and he says you've heard this idea about Moses and the serpent which of course Nicodemus would have heard now that's an idea that's not in our common lectionary we We don't uh, know this story off the top of our head. It's not like the Passover. It's not like the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, It's not like the stories of King David. This is sort of an obscure story within the book of Numbers. But it's important for what Jesus is talking about, and it's something that Nicodemus would have known. And what Jesus says is, you've heard about the story of Moses and the serpent. Now just like that happened, so I will be lifted up, so that whoever can see me can participate in eternal life. And then from that point Jesus gets into of course one of the most famous texts in all of the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But that verse, John 3.16, is directly connected to this text from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. This whole idea of Moses lifting up the serpent. And that was a story that happened when the people were in the wilderness. The serpents surrounded the people and there was death all around As a matter of fact, the people interpret that as the judgment of God. Now, there's nothing in the text to help us understand that that judgment is accurate, but that's how that surrounding by the serpents is understood. So death was all around them during this journey through the wilderness. They have this time with the serpents where random death has just surrounded them, and they cry out to God for help. And God tells Moses something very specific. God says to Moses, Make a serpent and lift it up so that the people can look at it and they can live. Very interesting solution to this problem that the people face in the wilderness. But what happens in the story in the book of Numbers is that the people are healed by coming face to face with the fact That God is with them in the midst of their own fear. That God does not run away from the fear. That God does not cause the fear as the people might have understood that God did. But instead that God through leadership mandates that the people examine their fear face to face. And this examination becomes the source of their healing. And Jesus knows that this has a lot of traction for his conversation with Nicodemus. I realize it also has a lot of traction for us today, given what we're facing. But to stick with the text for a moment... Jesus knows that this has a lot of traction within the first century because there was a lot to be afraid of. I mean, let's remember that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He comes through fear. There was a lot of waiting for God to show up and change things. And in the middle of this fear, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is that the way of healing is found in the reality that we have to face the fact that fear does not have the final word. In fact, through leadership, community, and faith, fear can actually be stared straight in the eye and can provide the pathway to healing and salvation. And this is why Jesus compares himself to the serpent in the book of Numbers. Because what Jesus knows is that eventually he himself will embody everything that we are afraid of. He will embody everything that the first century was afraid of. That had only begun to happen. But as the book of The Gospel of John unfolds, Jesus will encounter all sorts of things and will come into contact with all sorts of people that God is not supposed to be a part of. He will hold all of that fear within his own body and he will eventually, in flesh, Everything about God that we are afraid of by taking in death into himself on the cross. And it will be through that that he will make his stamp on human history about how deeply God has chosen to love the world. Friends, just like every other story that we have encountered, it is not out and around that God goes, but it is in and through. That is the way that God chooses, and that is the way that we are to set up this ultimate celebration of God's love that leads us to this wonderful text of John 3:16 for God so loved the world for God so loved the world that God does not go out and around but God goes through in as much as God becomes and influshes and takes on every single one of our fears from the fear of living in the wilderness and being surrounded by snakes to the fear of dealing with the encroachment of rome in the first century to the fear of dealing with covid 19 in the 21st century you see we have always been afraid of death that is not new To the human condition. From the Moses story to Nicodemus to our world today, our existential fear looms in a world where events seem and even perhaps could be random. From the seemingly random encounters with the snakes in the book of Numbers to the seemingly random encounters of imperialism and the fear of Roman encroachment to the seemingly random spread of viruses and microbiology today. You see, COVID-19 is a new virus, but fear is nothing new to the human condition, nor is death. And just as Jesus uses his time with Nicodemus to look fear straight in the eye and to look death straight in the eye and to say, I will not go in and around these things, but I will go through them, so too we must hear that promise that this makes the claim of our own belovedness and the way that God continues to choose us every single time. And so, our invitation as we look at this conversation with Jesus that Nicodemus had, our invitation is to sit with Nicodemus in our fear and in our questions. Maybe we have to come at night. And as we make our way through the conversation, we may get to this point where our lament too might be, How can these things be? But it is to this response that Jesus invites our fear to come and to tell the full truth about how God speaks to fear not with judgment. But love. How God speaks to fear and death, not with judgment, but intention to take it into God's self. And how God speaks to fear and death with the promise that just as the serpent was lifted up in the time of Moses, so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that we can continue to hear the echo throughout human history that God so loved the world, that God gave his only son so that we might believe in him and that we might not perish. You know, when you think about perishing, you think about how it is that we can perish by our own fear and by our own fear of death. And perhaps the invitation in this text is to say, that is not what we need to do. So that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but instead may hold the promise that we enter into this thing. Through the body of Jesus, we enter into this idea of resurrection, We enter into this promise that death and fear does not have the last word, and so there is eternal life. Friends, perhaps today that is the text that we need to hold on to. So I encourage you, as you make your way throughout this week, to just let that John 3.16 echo in your hearts and in your minds and in your prayer for the world. Let it stabilize your panic. Let it stabilize your fear. Let it stabilize my fear. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we are so overwhelmed by this new state of the world we recognize that the world has been through times like this before not just once but multiple times and though it is a first for us it is not a first for you so we ask that you would stabilize our hearts and our minds and our spirits help us to be grounded. Not in fear, but in love. Help us to remember that you have used times in the past to help us face our own fear. Not as a way of torment, but as a way of healing. May that happen to us this week and give us wisdom as we move forward We also pray for those in the community that need a healing touch. We think of Nancy and her family who have been dealing with sickness. We think of Jan and her family who also have been dealing with sickness, none of the terrifying sickness, but sickness nonetheless. We think of our friends who are stuck in facilities where they're not able to leave their room. Winona Morrison, who is in isolation within her unit, not because of her own sickness, but because of the sickness of those around her. And gracious God, we know that there are so many more stories. We ask that you would help us to learn safe ways to reach out to one another, and that we would do all that we can to help contain this virus while not losing our own humanity in the process. Stabilize us. Through Christ we pray. And let us join together in the prayer that you have given us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Blessings on you as you make your way through this week.